bit complicated, that, wasn't it? <laughs> well, let's see if we unpack a little bit of it. We haven't got time to, to do it. There's about four or five different sermons in there, but we'll stick to one. And I've chosen the title, Chosen and Kept, for this. What does it mean to be chosen? When I was small, I was weedy. In fact, when I was born, it said, my mother told me that the midwife held me up by my ankles, slapped me and said, what's this, a skinned rabbit? Uh, It's all right, I've had counselling for that. Although it does come back to haunt me every so often. But when I was at school, primary school, um, and they were picking teams for football, you know what it's like? All line up, two captains, start picking. I was left. Nobody wanted to pick me. Nobody chose me. In those days, you played in mud, and the leather football had a lace in it that hit you in the head and knocked you out. You remember those days? And the football boots had nails sticking out of the bottom that scratched you when somebody stamped on you. I didn't like it. I was weedy. I got never, never got picked. That's one way of choosing someone, is it? You choose somebody on their merits or perceived merits. There are other ways of choosing things. No sound. A stranger from the outside. Greetings. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. This is an intergalactic emergency. I need to commandeer your vessel to Sector 12. Who's in charge here? The Claw. The Claw is our master. The Claw chooses who will go and who will stay. This is ludicrous. Hey, Bozo, you got a brain in there? <gasps> oh, no. Sid. Get down. <laughs> What's gotten into you, Sheriff? I was... You are the one that decided to climb into this... The claw. It moves. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. <laughs> well, that's another way of choosing something, isn't it? Randomly. And life seems like that sometimes. That it's just sort of a random series of events... There's other ways of choosing things, of course. Ladies, you opened your wardrobes this morning and said, what shall I wear? What shall I choose to wear? Now, I don't intend to get into the logic of that particular statement. It's got me into trouble before. Um, I've got nothing to wear. Anyway, (laughs) choosing is difficult. But the wonderful thing that Jesus is saying in this prayer is that God has chosen you. He's talking about his disciples there and he's talking about us here. That each person is special and precious. Now you think, well, surely that's random. 
And here we could get into a long discussion about the um, merits of predestination versus free will. But what was that, Tim, you want to do? But he's saying we won't. Think of it like this. A parent dreams great dreams for their children. Um, and works out, we work out a future perhaps for our children in our minds. A teacher will perhaps have great dreams for a student. But it doesn't always work out like that, does it? One of the great Pharisaic sayings was that everything is decreed except the fear of God. God has a plan, God has a dream. Somebody once described it to me as like a, a very elaborate carpet. And you look at the back of a carpet that's been woven, and it's an absolute mess. I had the privilege of being able to look at the back of the massive tapestry in Coventry Cathedral. And it doesn't look anything like the front. And when um, Graham Sutherland designed that big tapestry, he could see it. It existed before he ever put a stitch together or before he ever painted it. It was there in his mind. And that was the dream. It doesn't always work out like that. Somebody once said, fate is what we're compelled to do. Destiny is what we're meant to do. It is a bit difficult, I know, and we haven't got time to unpack all of that. But even so, Jesus is saying that each person is special and precious, and he chooses. Now, we've got somebody here. Seema, would you like to come up? Her knees are knocking. Seeing Father, she's just gonna, we're just going to have a chat. Ignore them. How do you fire this thing up, Tim? Oh, do come, come up here. Let's have a chat. You have that one. Thank right, you. about there. So, um, who are you? I'm Seema. Seema, yes, and you live locally, don't you? And you attend here, yeah? I do, yeah. And I have the privilege of being in the home group that Seema hosts, and she's a wonderful host. She, she, goes, uh, she bakes the most beautiful cakes, and they've got M&S stamped all over them. <laughs> <laughs> She's an absolute star. Um, and uh, we have some good discussions, don't we, in our home group? We do, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's it. Um, so how you shared with us, I think, one day, that you actually come from a Hindu background. Is that right? I do, yes. So what was that like growing up? Um, yeah, it was very good. I used to go um, most Sundays to the Hindu temple with my parents, um, more for the youth activity. Um, thought I believed in God, but didn't know really what didn't that really was. know what it meant. It was just something that you did. Right. So, at some stage in your life, um, you became a Christian. I did. How did that happen? So. So what happened, I grew up as a Hindu, um, went to university, worked in London. Um, at work, I met Rubin, who's ah, my love. husband. Love. Love. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he comes from a very Christian family. He had a very strong belief. Um, so I just thought, well, I'd quite like to find out more about 
his religion, not intending to become a Christian. It was just such a big part of him that I just wanted to find out more about it, just so I could understand him him, um, and his family. So um, off I went. Um, I went to an alpha course. I went to a... The alpha again strikes again. (laughs) I went to um, St. Helens in London, another course. And I questioned absolutely everything um, and thought, hmm, that can't have happened. This can't have happened. There can't have been a flood and there can't have been a this and there can't have been a that. Um, but, you know, it didn't really matter that I was questioning it because I had no intention of becoming a Christian. I just wanted to understand the Bible, understand the stories and understand so what happened? the movement. One day I was there and I just thought... Actually, the questions don't matter. I really believe in Jesus. And because of that, I've always felt special because I really do feel like I was plucked out, I was meant to meet Reuben, and God completely chose me. I had no intention of being chosen. And he chose you? He chose me. I can't believe it. What does that feel like? I just feel so special and excited. I didn't grow up in a Christian background. I had no intention. I wasn't particularly religious um and i'm quite a fun person <laughs> i like to go out i like I to can, have a cocktail I can vouch for that. I'm, I, um, I parted with this girl <laughs> um people and um, you know you'd think that i wouldn't be the sort of person that god and jesus would choose and yet he completely chose me and i feel really special i feel i feel like I've not just grown up or been become a Christian because I had to be or wanted to be. I just feel like plucked out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So that's another way of being chosen. When you were least expected. Um, I was never going to be a vicar. God had other ideas. And they do say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) And all the way through the Bible, we have God choosing people. We have him choosing the Israelites, the Jewish nation, as a special special people. Uh, In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read, For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. What a wonderful statement that is. Chosen to be a treasured possession. That's quite something, isn't it? And later on, uh, Jesus himself, uh, at his baptism in Luke chapter 9, we read, a voice came from the clouds saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And we are special as God's people. In Romans chapter 8, we read, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? So we are chosen. We are his disciples. What is a disciple? Well, in home groups last term, we we were unpacking some of that. Uh, And I'd like to suggest there are a few things. A disciple is someone who knows and understands that they are chosen by God, which is exactly what Seema was saying. 
I know that God has chosen me. Therefore, I am a disciple of his. I follow him. A disciple is someone who understands that Jesus is God incarnate. In other words, that the fullness of the Godhead lives in Jesus. Now, in that passage from John's Gospel, there was a lot of talking about names. And in fact, in the song that we've just sung, it talked about name. Now, you've just had a baby, haven't you, Tim? Well, you haven't, but you're... <laughs> Judging by the bags under your eyes, you have anyway. Um, now, how did you choose... What is the name of your baby, by the way? Esther, that's right. How did you come across Esther? Open the Bible and stick a pin in it? No. No, no. Uh, because what, does Esther have a meaning? You, you, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> For star. Yeah, well, she is a little star, isn't she? But names have a meaning. And certainly uh, in uh, ancient Middle Eastern culture, a name was more than just somebody you called them by, the name was a description. It was everything. It was your personality. It was who you were. And that meant such a lot. So a disciple is somebody who understands that Jesus is God. And in the name of God, there is so much. The names of God, there are multitudes of them. But it was a description of who you are your very being. And he says um, that a disciple also is someone who hears and understands and obeys the word of God. Come up, good. Now, the word of God in John's gospel can mean two things. We have the prologue at the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is referring to Jesus himself as the Word. But also, of course, it refers to the Scriptures, the Bible. And at that time, of course, it hadn't been written, the New Testament. But God's Word... The word of God, it comes, that phrase comes all the way through the Bible, time and time again. Um, find the right page. In 1 Thessalonians, we read, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. The Bible is described as living and active, and sharp as a two-edged sword. It's not just print on paper, it's more than that. It shows us what God is like. The writer of the Hebrews wrote, the Son is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification from sins, after his death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. We're celebrating Ascension Tide at the moment. Thursday last week was Ascension Day. When we celebrate that Jesus is risen, ascended, and glorified. And he is praying for us. So Jesus prays for his disciples. Good. It's working. I like it. Um, And what does he pray? First of all, he prays that they may be kept in unity. That they'll get on together. Well, as I was saying at the earlier service, one of my um, colleagues, who was the Archdeacon of Coventry, is retired now, but he spent most of his ministry life as chaplain on the Ark Royal before they turned it into scrap. And what he said, I remember him saying once, he said, I found more love, more unity, more common purpose in the wardroom of the Ark Royal or in the mess of the Ark Royal than I have in many church, parochial church council meetings. What an indictment. That we can get divided. And what happens is, Jesus, that they be kept in unity, and the next one, that they be kept from the evil one. And if the devil wants to disrupt a church, he does it through you and me. And he starts. And whenever a church is growing, whenever the Spirit of God is moving in a church... When things are happening, whether it be a big church or a little church, when people are becoming Christians, as Seema has described to us, the devil does not like it. He doesn't need to do anything uh, with a church that's in decline, not going anywhere, not doing anything. But the moment people start becoming Christians, he starts making trouble. And he starts with you and me. And usually starts with... I think, or I don't think, and having a go at the vicar or the curate. Wonderful being retired. You can fire the bullets and walk away. (laughs) Poor old Tim's got to pick up the pieces. Um, So he prays that we'll be kept from the evil one so that we can keep that unity. The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, Pentecost is coming. The coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bound this diverse group of people together with a common purpose. He brought them together in unity on that day of Pentecost. Before that, they were all over the shop. Some of them had gone fishing. Don't don't know what Matthew went back to, but they just didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. The Spirit came on all of them, and they were brought together in unity. And they were given a bond of peace. tied together by the Spirit and in peace. And that should be the picture of a church. A group of people who have unity of spirit that are tied together by that Spirit in a bond of peace. Jesus used 12 disparate individuals. He prayed for these people. 
Now, I think you've probably got more than 12 on the parochial church council here. Okay, PCC members. Are there any here? Ah, oh, one or two, yeah. Hey, well, if all 12 of you or 14 of you, whatever it is, actually had a common purpose and a common mind, you could change the world. These 12 did. They didn't have it easy, but they changed the world because they had unity of spirit and a bond of peace. And next, Jesus prayed that they would be kept holy. Now, that's not a word we often use. In the Bible, it was said sanctify. It simply means being kept apart. Jesus was sent to be holy, to be um, someone who was set apart for a purpose. And what was his purpose? His purpose was to die on the cross for you and me, to take away our sin, to make us guilt-free, to make us sin-free, so that we will be presentable to God in that day, which will come either sooner or later, but it will come when we have to stand before Almighty God. So Jesus prayed, keep them in unity, keep them from the evil one, and keep them holy. Why did he pray this? He tells us that the disciples were a gift, Father's gift to the Son. You see, each one of us is special and precious and loved by God. There isn't anybody that doesn't matter. God wants the best for each one of us, whether we acknowledge that and acknowledge him or not. He is our creator. There's never been anybody like you before, and there'll never be anybody like you ever again. Each one of you, is special and precious. And God loves you. And he says, here is a gift he gives to Jesus. And the disciples then receive the word, both in the form of Jesus, but also the word of God. And the job of the disciples was to glorify Christ. And our job is to glorify Christ. What does that mean? It means that when people look at us, they should see something of God and Jesus in us. And that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? We talk about somebody being a godly person. And when you meet somebody who would describe as a godly person, you think, there's something different about this person. There's something good about them. There's something holy about them. And in them, I see something that I haven't got. The reflected glory. When Moses came down the mountain after collecting the Ten Commandments on his paracetamol or whatever it was, no, iPad, um, tablets of stone, that was a pun, sorry. They couldn't look at him because He reflected the glory of God, and it was so bright. Now, that's not cool in our society. That's not what society wants. That's not what is promoted as being good. Holy is good. And what happens? Well, if we skip the next one, and go, people don't like that, do they? 
Next one. Next one. That's it. People don't like it. The media do not like Christians. They vilify us. They mock us in a way that they wouldn't dare do to any other religion. And they do it all the time. We're vilified as Christians. Jesus said, the world will hate you. Sometimes. But if you're holy, if you're set apart, and you display those qualities that the Holy Spirit brings, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those fruits that are good, it's got to be good, hasn't it? And he also said in that passage, isn't it, that these disciples are not of the world, but they are sent into the world. So we're not a sort of holy enclave, but we are to be salt and light wherever we go. Jesus sent his disciples out into the towns and villages to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to be salt and light. And after Pentecost, the apostles went to the four corners of the known earth. It's believed that Thomas even ended up in India and your ancestors heard the word of God, Reuben, from someone like Thomas. And they believed the word of God went to the four corners of the earth. And I don't think any of them died a peaceful death. What more could we do with the freedom that we have? And we do pray that the talks about North Korea will come to fruition and all those many, many thousands of Christians that are suffering such terrible, terrible suffering in the labor camps in North Korea, along with the nuclear weapons, will be set free. Those camps will be dismantled. And Christians will be able to be free to worship God in the places where they live. We pray for that. In this My Kingdom Come week, which Tim will say a little bit more about later, let's pray for that freedom for them. That there will be a complete melting of the hatred of Christianity. And Christians will be set free. We're getting there. So the next one, the word. Receive the word, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So receive the word. Nextly, believe the word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, Paul says in Romans. This isn't just for Sundays. Jesus said in that passage, your word is truth. And we live in a society which has this, well, truth is what you ever want it to be. It's like a smorgasbord that you can pick what you like. And as long as you believe it's all right, then it's all right. And that eventually leads to anarchy. And of course, we have that um, just before the flood and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. And we're getting to that situation now, aren't we? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Thy word is truth. 
Keep the word. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So lastly, Jesus is praying for each one of us. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. He is risen, ascended, glorified, and he intercedes. He prays for each one of us because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. And he prays still that we are kept in unity, that we are kept from the evil one, and that we are sanctified or kept holy by the word of God. If you want to know how to live your life, read the Bible. Follow God's word. So that's a little bit of Jesus' prayer for us. Not for just for his disciples, but for us and those who will come after. That's us. And if you take nothing away from this, just take away that I am special. God has chosen me. And he's chosen me to reflect some of his glory. He's praying for me, and he will keep me. Amen.